0: Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims for a decade. I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM
3: Paranormal Podcast Network. This is the place to be if you're ready for the best podcasts of the paranormal. Curious and sometimes unexplained. Now listen to this.
0: Thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs.
4: Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Do you watch Shark Tank? Mom and I love seeing the entrepreneurs going into the tank and pitching their products to the sharks. Well, I was surprised that one of the ladies we've seen on TV went from Shark Tank to being able to see deceased children. Her name is Kirsten Hathcock, and I had a conversation with her this past week.
1: Honestly, I used to think that being on Shark Tank was going to be the most interesting thing about my life, (laughs) and it turns out it's not. (laughs) To back up, I grew up in Ohio, my parents were teachers, my dad was a football coach, and moved out to California, married, two children, ended up working in corporate America, mostly in the TV industry. So I worked for A&E and the History Channel. And then once our youngest daughter was, I think she was around one, I didn't want to go back to work full time. I wanted to still make that income, but try and do something from home. Now I know it's intuition. Then I thought, this is crazy. Why am I thinking I can build furniture and I have no experience with this? And I thought, I'll give it a try. My dad used to build furniture in our house, so I'll try it. So I built furniture specifically kid stuff. And I like the mid-century modern style. So I started building that type of toy box back in 2007. At that point, I just thought, gosh, this is going to help pay the bills. Like I can pay the gas bill with this, right? And it exploded in a way that I never thought would happen. So all of a sudden, I'm starting to get orders from New York, from celebrities, from England, from all over the place. Within four years, it was at the point where I needed manufacturing help which is what led me to Shark Tank. Because at that point I thought, I can't, there's no way I can do anything about this. Just doing all this myself in the garage, I'm so overwhelmed. So I applied to Shark Tank. So once I got on Shark Tank, I ended up getting two offers and there's a whole journey and a whole section of that in my book where I talk about all of that. But it was actually one of the best things I've ever done because it taught me to trust my intuition more so than I'd ever done. And I was 34, I believe, at the time when all that happened. You know, I lived a good chunk of life without really knowing, A, what intuition was, how to trust it. I knew nothing. I get into the Shark Tank years and I'm like, this is great. I did it. I've expanded. I'm partnering internationally. I've got a manufacturer. And I thought, "Okay, this is awesome. Pinnacle of everything. And then, of course, I shouldn't have thought that because then everything goes downhill from there. it's a story that is unbelievable. And I didn't believe it myself, to be honest with you. My first reaction, I'm in the garage and building furniture. I'm hearing mom, or I would see a figure walk across the garage, like a small figure. What... We, where are my kids? Oh, wait, right they're at school. Okay, what am I seeing? So as that started to ramp up, I started to think, this is the polyurethane that I've been breathing. This is crazy. Um, I'm very grounded person from Ohio who always trusted all the science data and empirical research. So none of it made sense. Similar to your journey, which is, it, it wasn't something that I was prepared for. And I really did think I was going crazy. And thankfully, the other side started... Small, I guess I would say with me. <laughs> I was reading Facebook one night and I remember seeing a message about two, well, I would say kids. They're not kids. They were parents at the time, but I went to school with them and they were a couple years older. I didn't know them very well. And I ended up reading about the loss of their son who had passed away. First of all, I didn't even know they had a son. That's how not close we were. So I am reading this Facebook post and all of a sudden I can feel him next to me. I had been finally coming to grips with this and understanding that this was real, talking to a few people that were kind of woo-woo, quote-unquote, in my mind. That was at least the basis of the foundation for me before I got this message from Nate. He is such a force. And I remember thinking, okay, if this is real, then I'll just write down what he's saying. Because he was asking me to reach out to his parents.
4: Could and you see him
1: or would you just... I could see him? him. Yes. I could see, see him. him. I could feel him. I could hear him. And it was really strange because how Claire's come in typically one at a time. And that's how it started for me. I would smell things like I would smell smoke. And I would think nobody's smoking. Why am I smelling smoke? Not recognizing it was my grandfather. So the Claire's all came in, but they came in so quickly that by the time Nate got to me, which was a couple months in, it was all at once. Yeah, it was nuts. So he was telling me that I needed to share information with his family. And I said, okay, I'll write it down. And then after that, I kept looking around, like, where did he go? And I thought, I'm just going to put it away for a minute. Because first of all, I don't want to reach out to grieving parents. I don't want to hurt them. I was a parent myself. Like, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to be the crazy woman from Defiance, Ohio. I don't want this to reflect badly on my parents who still lived in Defiance, Ohio. And so I put it away and I went back out into the garage a couple days later and I was working on the toy box that I had built uh, about to ship it out. And I had this overwhelming calm. It was almost like I didn't hear it, but I felt like it's time. It's time. It's okay. And so I had that moment of, okay, I'll try. So I reached out to them on Messenger and Facebook and said, I don't know if you remember me. My dad was a football coach. They still live in town. They're normal people. <laughs> They're sane. I promise I'm sane, but I feel like I, I've communicated with your son on the other side. And he really wants me to pass these messages. I was very grateful because His mom was already believing that he was on the other side. She was already recognizing signs. His dad was not at that point. So he was very skeptical. Ended up passing that message and even went over to their house when I went home to visit my family. That's been 12 years ago, I think. So I still pass messages to them, to Denise and John, and they came to my book launch. And they've just been like amazing friends because the way I look at it, They helped me and he helped me as much as I helped them. But I sat with them. I sat with their youngest son, who is their only living son now. And I remember sharing messages for about an hour and I did that privately. Whatever it was that I shared came to be. And so at that point, he said, thank you. This is such a gift. I didn't know they were struggling. I didn't know what they were dealing with at the time, but it really changed their lives. brought them all back together again as a family Um, and yeah it was just it's incredible right then and there I was like okay I'm sold I can do this (laughs) it's scary but I can do this because it gave them such hope
4: that's the whole point of all of it so then what happened more kids started coming in more
1: kids yes more kids started coming in kids that I had some sort of connection to There was a child that came in who was related to a dear friend of mine from childhood. I would go stay at their house and hang out with them and their kids. And we were family, really close family friends. I remember when I would go to her house, my toes would be pulled on at night when I was sleeping. The room was really cold. There was just all this stuff happening all around the same time. Thankfully, she didn't think I was nuts, which a lot of people in my circle were saying this is crazy, but she didn't. There was a little girl who had been abducted and murdered by a pedophile ring that was trying to get my attention, and there was a connection in that area, and that's how she found me. That freaked me out because now I'm thinking, what do I do? Am I really supposed to reach out? I reached out to the mom of the child, and the mom basically said, thank you, what you're telling me is what happened. Even though the public reports say otherwise. So she knew that I was really getting the information from the other side. And then I was able to reach out to other detectives because, as we know, it's a ring. When these rings are pretty prevalent, unfortunately, internationally, and they're intertwined. And so I started to just form relationships with different cops around the country. The first thing I would say is, hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm a CEO of a furniture company. <laughs> I would try and make it as, as clear as possible that I wasn't somebody who was trying to do anything but share information that could be helpful.
4: Sometimes in these cases, they're out of clues. Right. And to be able to get one is, yes. let's hear what you have to say, lady.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And that's what ended up happening with um, one of my closest partnerships. His name's Mark Pucci. He wrote the foreword for my book. He is a retired NYPD detective. And he and I actually just co-founded a nonprofit two years ago called the National Institute for Law and Justice. And we help families whose loved ones have been murdered or are missing. But with him, he said he had worked with other psychics before he was already okay with it, but also very intuitive himself. That partnership came through another case. It was organized crime murder that happened in New York. And I happened to be connected to someone related to the person who had gone missing. Mark had agreed as a private detective who was retired, that he was going to also volunteer on this case from a different angle and found out that I was willing to also work on it. So we connected over the phone I shared information I was getting from the man on the other side because I knew he was deceased. And he said, okay, we'll see what else you can get. And then let's meet back up again. And I happened to have been in New York. This was 2014. And so we met up at a diner and I took my little folder and he had his folder and we sat down and they matched. And it was information that I couldn't have known only from the man in spirit, and it matched everything that he had been investigating, boots on the ground. So it was at that point, I think, that our partnership was solidified. (laughs) And then I just continued to help him on cases he was working on as well, until we founded the nonprofit together.
4: Kirsten Hathcock is the author of Little Voices, a book that you might enjoy. And she still keeps making furniture and helping these spirits get to their loved ones. If you want to hear the full conversation I had with Kirsten, you'll find it at wedontdie.com. When we come back from the break, I'd like to introduce you to a young man who had a very different kind of near-death experience and now is passionately Helping people get over resentment and learning about forgiveness. We'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
0: Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up.
2: Are you ready to fight back against crime?
0: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm George Norrie.
3: Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
2: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: Hey everyone, it's producer Tom of Coast to Coast AM and more Sandra starts right now.
4: Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. Next, I'd like to introduce you To a young man who has had a very different kind of near-death experience, this is Coach Brandon Densmore.
3: I live in Union, Maine, and have been here for a few years, bought a house here, married to a beautiful woman named Mary Marcel, and we have a one-year-old baby. Congratulations on all that. Yeah. I'm a certified spiritual coach, and I work here from my home helping people. I love what I do, and wasn't always the case. Let's go into what happened. Basically, back in 2014, I passed away from a heroin overdose. When I was eight years old, I was sexually molested. I guess I should have said trigger warning. Yeah, I was sexually molested at eight years old. And that really made me question myself and the world. Up until that point, I'd lived in a safe world. But at eight years old, I realized that not everybody has your best intentions at heart. And that's a lot to process uh, for an eight-year-old kid. So I went to school. I hated school. I was made fun of. And it might have been because I was different. I didn't celebrate any holidays or participate in any extracurricular activities because I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. They have certain spiritual beliefs that are like pretty way outside the, the mainstream. The religion taught me a lot of good morals, and I have a lot of respect for Jehovah's Witnesses. But it did make me stand out as different, and maybe that made me an easy target for bullies. So I went to school, hated it, diagnosed with Crohn's disease and sacroiliac spondylitis when I was 13 or 14, and was put on opiate painkillers. Over time, like I would take these things and it would treat my pain. The Crohn's disease, I don't know how many people know, but it's arthritis of the intestine, so it's pretty painful. So it would treat my pain, but it would also treat my emotional pain. And maybe that's why it was so addictive. I think that's why it was. It made me feel comfortable in my own skin, more self-confident. And I wasn't feeling those painful emotions of the effects of the sexual abuse and being made fun of. I was able to help me deal with those emotions. So I was diagnosed with those diseases, got hooked on painkillers and lived that way for most of my life. I dropped out of school in ninth grade and was headed down a really dark road. Then I was in a fight when I was 21. I guess you could say that was my first near-death experience. I was beat to within an inch of my life. This guy, he was a third-degree black belt. We'd been drinking and ended up getting in a fight with this guy, and he was wearing steel-toed boots, and he kicked me three times in the head. And I went to the doctor the next day and he said, if that guy had put three more pounds of pressure behind that last kick, his boot would have gone directly into your brain and you would be dead. So at age 21, I was questioning the possibility of my own non-existence, I guess you could say. At that time, like I just experienced a complete blackout, the absence of everything, nothingness. And yet there was still a consciousness there to observe the nothingness. I didn't have a trip to heaven or hell or all of these like amazing experiences that people have at that time. I just experienced total blackout afterwards. That made me question my identity up to that point. I believed that I was stupid. I was going nowhere in life and uh, basically wasn't going to amount to anything. And then I was in that fight. I started like reading and listening to audiobooks about self-development and spirituality and things like that. Long story short, I went back to school, got my GED, then went to a community college, graduated from there, and ended up going into a summer program called Exploring Transfer, where I won a full scholarship to go to Basser College. graduated from there with a philosophy degree. But what people didn't know was that while I was in this school, this prestigious School and throughout this whole educational journey, I was addicted to painkillers this whole time. Graduate from Vassar, and then I'm back. I'm living in a little apartment in Winthrop, Maine. And outside of my apartment, I'm at my mom's place. I'd been in withdrawals for days without the medication. It's been three days since I've had any opiates. And really, like the only people that have been dependent on opiates can really understand what it feels like to be going through withdrawals. I would go through this cycle of running out of my medication early because I would take just a little bit more than I was supposed to. And then my prescription would run out early and I'd be in withdrawals. And that's one way at school I was introduced to the heroin. I was at a party and withdrawals and somebody brought it out. So I'm waiting for this guy to show up because I can't get my prescription for another few days and I can't function my mind is totally full of anxiety I'm thinking about every problem in my life and every problem is just screaming at the top of my lungs in my mind uncontrollable one problem after another in my mind after another I'm not happy with my life I'm not happy with who I am how I feel what's happened in the past and it's all there and it's all raw And I'm looking at the clock. Is this guy ever going to show up? The minute just clicking on the clock, click, click, click. Every second feels like an eternity waiting for this guy to show up. Finally, he gets there and like I'm crawling out of my skin and he brings the stuff. He leaves. So I do some of it, And finally, the nightmare is over. Finally, I can just breathe, relax, collect my thoughts and function normally. All of those thoughts just evaporated and felt really good. After a couple minutes, that pleasure and relief ended. And I realized that I was passing away. My breathing was slow and things are getting darker and darker. And then, bam, I'm outside of my body. I was shown two things in this near-death experience. But you could say that I saw the future, was shown the future, I saw all of the people that were affected by my death. And it was like the holodeck from Star Trek. That's like a computer simulation where it's this super advanced hologram where you can tell the computer, Hey, I want to stand on the moon. And all of a sudden, all of your surroundings change and there you are on the moon. Or you can be shown any person that you want, any situation that you want, any place that you want in this Star Trek holodeck. I was shown image after image, three-dimensional, like I'm there. I was shown all the people that were affected by my death, and I was shown a future reality where I didn't exist. It was like, this is what your life could have been if you hadn't died. And I was shown image after image. The one that really stands out is my mother. I was shown how my mother found my dead body on her couch and... I could feel her feelings, the grief, that it was just soul-crushing grief. I remember I was shown that she came into her apartment, and there I was on her couch, discolored, pus running out of my mouth. And she started screaming, my baby, oh, no, my God, oh, my God, no, my baby, my little baby boy, my baby boy, no, my God, my baby. The pain was just overwhelming. Then I was shown my funeral, all the friends and the family that were affected, and all of the grief, and then the future reality that I would never experience, the woman I would never marry, the children I would never have, the joyful experiences that would never exist, all of the people that I could have helped, all of the potential that was wasted. And then, boom, I'm back in my body and uh, gasping for breath. But before I was back in my body gasping for breath, I came back into the room after being shown all these images and I heard a voice say, now your life is over and you wasted it. And then I begged not to die, that I would do whatever was necessary to make it so that this reality doesn't happen so that I don't die. I need another chance. Please don't let me die. And then bam, I'm back in my body gasping for breath. So that's what happened.
4: Thank you, first of all, for sharing that with us. It's not easy to share some parts of our past, but every single human being deals with something and they might show just the smiley faces on social media and all that, but we're all dealing with something. When you had that out-of-body experience and you were shown all that, first of all, how incredible to actually feel your mother's pain and you feel it from her perspective what a wake up call that is to see the impact that you have Mm -hmm. on others that your life does. But the memory of it and how clear you saw it, was it just as clear as we're living life now? How easy is it for you to recall? Does it stay fresh as a memory? Cause it's almost 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that.
3: When it happened, it was as if it was real, like flesh and blood, but I was like a spectator on the side watching everything Being taken from image to image, from scene to scene, and just being shown. And it was just as clear as day, like it was real. I still remember the image of my mother finding my body, crystal clarity. But as time has gone on, it has become less vivid, like any memory does. But at the time, it was very real.
4: I ask that because it's just common with near-death experiences to have it so real, so real than any memory or any dream we have. So it just wanted to point out that it carries that same characteristic. So what happened then? Because clearly you're still going to have that addiction And how did you become who you are today? Because any kind of addiction, whatever it is, I know there's dopamine receptors in our system that are craving for whatever it is. And it's Mm -hmm. not so easy as just saying, oh, I'm not going to do it today when everything in your system is crying out for that. So what was it like coming back?
3: I think that might be why I was shown the things that I was shown was to give me the strength to be able to push through the darkness and to, to move past into the light. Because it was very difficult, but I couldn't let myself die. I couldn't let my mother find my body. I couldn't let all of those people be affected, and I couldn't waste my life. Before I returned back into my body, I told the presence that was there that I was willing to do anything to have another chance.
4: This is a good time to take our break, and then we'll be back with more words from Brandon Densmore. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM, Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up.
0: We're happy to let you know that our Coast to Coast AM official YouTube channel has now reached 300,000 subscribers. You can listen to the first hour of recent and past shows all for free. So head on over to coasttocoastam.com and hit the YouTube icon at the top of the page. This is free show audio, so don't wait. AM.com is where you want to be.
2: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast
0: the best afterlife information you can get while you're alive. shades of the afterlife with Sandra Champlain
4: welcome back to shades of the afterlife I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're listening to Brandon Densmore tell his story of his near-death experience, one in which he overdosed from heroin and witnessed what his life would have been like had he survived.
3: Before I returned back into my body, I told the presence that was there that I was willing to do anything, to have another chance. Immediately, when I was back in my body gasping for breath, I went into a seven-day detox And basically, like you said, with the dopamine receptors, my brain wasn't working. I basically had to learn how to tie my shoelaces again. That's how bad it was. I couldn't even tie my shoelaces because I had been on opiates for over a decade. So anyways, went to detox, seven day detox, then went to intensive outpatient services, somewhere you go every day to talk about the disease of addiction and different strategies for not returning to the old behavior. And then I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and went through the 12 steps of AA, even though I wasn't an alcoholic, but I still worked those steps to the very best of my ability. Like I went all in because I was desperate. I needed to find another way to live. Did that and had to confront all of these inner demons, resentments, fears that I had, et cetera, et cetera. I had to deal with that molestation that happened when I was eight years old and other things, bullying. So I went through a spiritual refinement process. Long story short, I went from having false friends, living in a crappy little apartment, no money in the bank, just low self-esteem, self-confidence issues to someone who owns their own business, who purchased a house, married the love of their life, has a baby, surrounded by real friends. Just on and on, I have a garden, my life is happy. And it took a while. I had to go through that spiritual refinement process. But now I'm in a position where I'm here and I'm able to really serve people. And it's an honor and a privilege to have had this experience. I've been able to take that addiction and turn it into my most powerful asset. So, for the listeners out there, if you have addictions or uh, things that you've gone through that you're struggling with, these things can become defining moments in our lives. And we can use them as a kind of rocket fuel, really, to become the best versions of ourselves. I'm living in a whole new reality.
4: You are. And it's good to hear the story because everybody struggles, but we don't want everybody to have a near death experience. We don't want everyone to go through what you did. We want people to see that this is where you are now and what's possible. How did you decide to make your life about being of service? And tell us a little bit about how you started and created your business, because that's what you do. You help people transform their lives.
3: Yeah. So the 12th step in Alcoholics Anonymous is about being of service and carrying the message to other alcoholics. The whole step system is designed to give people a spiritual awakening. And that's what happened to me. I had a white light type experience where I had a visitation from, I don't know if it was an angel or my higher self, whatever this thing was, it didn't tell me what or who it was, Jesus. I I don't know. I was in my bathroom taking a shower one day. I'd worked the steps. I was having a hard time. I prayed and prayed. Cause I was going through a rough time and this being came through down through my ceiling and it was invisible, but you could feel its presence. And it was like a light coming down through the ceiling while I'm taking a shower. I could feel its power. I started having these thoughts, like I'm not worthy. Like I've done X, Y, and Z. I have X, Y, and Z flaws. Like I'm not worthy to be visited by this powerful angelic being it was like it telepathically sensed my thoughts and I could care less about what I had done. It pierced through those thoughts into my body and it just radiated love and peace and acceptance, non-judgment. It did something to my body. It was like penetrated me like an x-ray. And I believe that was the result of we're going through those steps and doing the spiritual refinement process and prayer and meditation. And then I had this experience. I started delving into being a sponsor for people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then from there, I enrolled in a course online about creating your own business. And then I became a certified spiritual coach. Now I'm where I am now where I'm Coaching people on a regular basis, and I'm creating a course online called Quantum Forgiveness. My ultimate method for creating time and energy so you can quickly accomplish your most important life goals. So um, that's where I am now. The course isn't finished, but I'm really passionate about this topic of quantum forgiveness. Why is it called quantum? Right? If you look into the etymology of the word quantum, it's about A particle or quanta, a a quantity, right? It is a particle of forgiveness. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that resentment is the number one offender. So resentment is basically the number one reason that alcoholics drink. Bam, mind-blowing. Resentment is the number one reason why alcoholics drink. And then in another part of the big book, it says, after they've gone through the spiritual steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, that they've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence beyond which they'd ever dreamed. This is quantum forgiveness, the particle of forgiveness. It's the essence or the spirit of forgiveness that will rocket you into a fourth dimension of existence beyond which you've ever dreamed. Well, the fourth dimension of existence is time. So I'm talking about that forgiveness, it's a process, it's a lifestyle. And if you can do it correctly, you will gain back time and energy so you can do what really matters and what you need to accomplish in this life with more ease and flow. I'm a sci-fi guy. I like science fiction movies and stuff, but it's like a tachyon particle right a tachyon that moves forwards and backwards through time so it's like literally you can rewrite the past you can be in the present and you can create the future simultaneously it's wild and it's not humdrum it's not your everyday kind of conversation that you have with people but it's like when you're in resentment you're like a victim And you're forced to be small. You can't really be of service to the world. It's like Plato's cave. It's a metaphor for the reality that we experience is that there are all these people and they're chained up in a cave for their entire lives. And they're forced to watch a wall with shadows being projected on it. And they believe that's reality because they've never known anything else. And they're in shackles. But one day someone is freed from that kind of entrapment and they follow the cave to the surface and they go out into the fresh air for the first time and the sun is shining and the sky is blue and there's green grass. And now they're really experiencing reality. What they thought they were living before was just a false existence. So that's what forgiveness when done right and practiced as a lifestyle does for you.
4: It's fair to say you have forgiven yourself for all those things that happened in your past because you can't help but think, oh, if I had done this differently, <clears throat> if I had done this differently. But I really believe, Brandon, that we human beings do the best we can at the time.
3: Yes. Forgiving myself and others. I was even able to come to a place of letting go of the sexual molestation. That was a challenge. That was something that bothered me for a long time. But in practicing it as a lifestyle, I've had to learn how to give up judgment of other people, righteous anger, something happens, it makes you mad. And there's a good reason why it makes you mad. Righteous indignation, judgment of other people, of myself. But let me tell you that going through this process, we don't realize how our resentments affect us and that they really rob us of our time and energy.
4: Yeah, don't you think though that resentment and all those just comes automatic? We all have that ego. We got that voice inside of us, and we're quick to judge. I think that's part of being human. It doesn't make it right, but that we really have to build a muscle and to catch ourselves. I think automatically as human beings, it happens that somebody does something. You can make them wrong or resent them.
3: Mm-hmm. It's. I think. A defense mechanism it's probably hardwired into our genetics but we're evolving and i think that the great spiritual masters have been pointing toward this for millennia first of all the ego serves a purpose it's a defense mechanism it keeps us safe but it doesn't need to be in charge it can be like a tyrant and you identify with it completely you think that it's you but it's not really you. There's a higher you that is connected to the spirit of the universe. And you can learn how to embrace that and utilize that in your daily life and put that spirit in charge.
4: There's a lot of people, including myself, that through the death of a loved one, there's fighting, there's miscommunications, and sometimes relationships have not healed and there's resentment that people hang mm-hmm. on to. What would be your advice? Would it be from seeing the situation from another person's perspective, sending them love?
3: Yeah. I would say, first of all, resentment's not wrong. Your feelings aren't wrong. You have them for a reason. But if it's affecting you and it's draining you and you're thinking about it, and it's diminishing your quality of life, it might be something that you want to consider letting it go or dealing with it. You identify you need to move out of the victim mentality that this person did X, Y, and Z to me and stop judging them. Part of it is understanding the why. Like, why did this happen? That's a big question that I hear a lot when dealing with resentments.
4: Let's go to the break now. And when we get back, we'll continue this conversation and he's got some very powerful words about forgiveness you're listening to shades of the afterlife on the iHeartRadio radio and coast to coast am paranormal podcast network
0: stay right there there's more sandra coming right up Hey, it's the Wizard
3: of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. Don't forget to check out my show, Strange Things, each week as I bring you the world of the truly amazing and bizarre right here
2: on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: Hi, it's Dr. Sky. Keep it right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
4: Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. It is said that sand in an oyster is an irritant, but ultimately that produces a pearl. People are the same way to you and me. They can be irritants and there can be lots of problems, but we're being polished just like that pearl. So let's continue with Coach Brandon Densmore about some words on forgiveness.
3: Your feelings aren't wrong. You have them for a reason. But if it's affecting you and it's draining you and you're thinking about it and it's diminishing your quality of life, it might be something that you want to consider letting it go or dealing with it. You need to move out of the victim mentality that this person did X, Y, and Z to me and stop judging them. Part of it is understanding the why, like why did this happen? That's a big question that I hear a lot when dealing with resentments. And that can be a way that will help shift your perspective out of this victim mentality. And like I said, I'm not judging it. There's nothing wrong with it. You can make the choice to let it go. You can make the choice to move on from it, to come to a place where you're not thinking about it, where it's not bothering you. And again, it's a process, but also a lifestyle of giving up judgment of other people, judgment of yourself. Like we have a club that we take out and we beat ourselves with and we beat other people with the club. And that club is called judgment. We demonize what we did or what they did. And then we beat ourselves and we beat other people with this club, but you can put the club down and not spend your time and energy on that anymore. And instead figure out why do people do what they do? And there's different perspectives on that. And Alcoholics Anonymous People do things that are horrible because they're sick. In the case of my molestation, my sponsor brought this to my attention. I was having a conversation with him in the fifth step about resentments that I had. And the sexual molestation came up and he said, Brandon, that's terrible that happened to you. That should never have happened. There's nothing you could have done. And then he said, but in the 20 years that you've been alive, did you ever consider why he did what he did? And I said, no, in 20 years, I haven't really thought about that. I've just condemned him. And he said, well, this guy was 16 years old that sexually molested me when I was eight. And he said, well, did you consider that maybe he had been sexually molested? That maybe he had learned this behavior somehow? No, I never thought of that. And then he said, well, picture him as a kid. Maybe he was sexually molested. If that was the case, could you feel any compassion for him?" And it was like this aha moment where it was like, yeah, I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody. So that's part of how understanding why people do what they do. One reason is that they're sick people. So they've been through trauma themselves. They've had violence happen in their lives and they have internalized that and are now operating at that level. Can you have compassion for the sick person? Another why is a common sense. Why? Because people do what they do out of a sense of survival because they think it's going to help them survive through certain things or because they think it's going to make them happy. So an easy way to let go of minor anger, I think just understanding that really people are doing things the way that they do because They think it's going to help them survive in the world, or it's going to make them happy or bring them pleasure in some way. And when you can look at it from that perspective, you can put some distance between you and what they're doing and take a step back. Another reason is innocence. Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this was when he was being tortured and being ready to be put to death. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Do any of us really know what we're doing? We don't have all the answers. We're really at a core level innocent, like little children trying to make their way in the world. We don't know what we do. We don't know the effects of what we do that have on other people. And it's just an ignorance, the reason why people do what they do. And the people aren't in their right mind when they hurt others or do something that affects our lives. So understanding the why that's one piece of it.
4: I appreciate that. People have struggled with in the past is why should I forgive them? Why should I forgive them? The thing is is holding that resentment. It's like taking rat poison and waiting for the other person to die. What (laughs) it does to us, Mm -hmm. it's not about impacting the other person. And and it may certainly, Mm -hmm. but it's really so that we are free. We can clear the chalkboard of all that stuff that's holding us back And be free to be who we are. So thank you so much for sharing that.
3: I also have a story that I wanted to tell you about true life after death. I think that there is an afterlife and that the soul moves on to another existence. I had a good friend, someone that I used drugs with in the past. One night we were talking, we said to each other, okay, if you ever die or if I ever die, let's say you die first, you send me a message and let me know if there is life after death. And if I die, I'll do the same for you. And then we won't be afraid of death and we will know that there is existence afterwards. So what ended up happening was she had died from an overdose. But before I knew that she had passed away, one night, I'm in my camper. I lived in a camper at the time. And one night, my friend shows up at the door, comes in, sound asleep, just sits at my bed and then crawls into bed and cuddles with me. And then just hangs out. It was like 100% real, like in the flesh. And then the next day I found out she had passed away. She was letting me know that there is indeed an afterlife and we go on. You gave me goosebumps with that story. I don't know if that helps your listeners at all, but... Helps me. Yes,
4: it does. <laughs> and absolutely, it does. I know you've got some other things you have jotted down that you wanted to make sure we cover in this episode. Take a little look. Okay. You...
3: So yeah, like... Overcoming ego, this was a big eye-opener, was that when we're resentful of ourselves or other people, that it's really the ego. And not that there's anything wrong with this. I'm not judging it. Resentment keeps us stuck in a little self, which a lot of people call the ego. It keeps us trapped in this little self and our focus is on it. Our energy is on it. We are really Concerned only with ourselves. Because when we're spending our time and energy in thinking about how we've been wronged or what we've done wrong in the past, when our time and energy is focused on that, we can't accomplish our most important life goals. We can be of service. There's so many people that need help, there's so much good that we can accomplish. But when we're trapped in this little ego, we're only really concerned about ourselves what's happened to us and protecting ourselves. And we can't expand and be the kind of help for the world that the world needs really. Okay. And another part is logotherapy, something that can help people overcome grief, but also deal with resentments is logotherapy. It was developed by this guy, Dr. Victor Frankl. He's a Holocaust survivor, went through the most outrageous atrocities that anybody can ever imagine and he got through it and after that he developed this thing called logo therapy which is basically meaning therapy so if you have a strong enough meaning in your life you can get through almost anything this guy was tortured this guy was starved and forced to watch other people go through the worst kind of things you can imagine he survived And he survived because he had a crystal clear vision of his wife that he wanted to make it through this experience so that he'd be able to see her again. So what happened in Alcoholics Anonymous is I acquired a meaning that was powerful. And the meaning was being of service to other people and helping other people. And once I started doing that, I could feel the joy of it. If you can find a meaning in your life, a powerful meaning, you can get through just about anything. And another thing, if someone has passed in your life and maybe you have resentments toward them, or you resent yourself for maybe contributing to whatever happened, or you resent yourself for things that you did to them or didn't do, just honor their name by doing things real world that help other people in some way. I'm going to give this guy on the side of the road $10. And I'm doing it in the name of the person that passed away. And then keep doing it. It's like that person's essence is still here and through you is doing good in the world. That's great. That really is. That's all I got.
4: It's all you got. Well, then let's talk about how people could get in touch with you. What kind of work do you do with other people? Is it one-on-one? I know you're developing Mm-hmm. The forgiveness course. What can people get right now if they contact you, and how can they contact yeah. you? Uh,
3: I'd have a few spots for coaching sessions. So I do offer coaching packages. I'm offering free sessions, free hour one on one coaching sessions to anybody who's interested. We can get together uh, over Zoom or Facebook Messenger and have a conversation on what's going on in your life, no strings attached. If we decide to work together, you can purchase a coaching package. But other than that, I'm taking people on a wait list for the quantum forgiveness course that I'm developing. The best way to contact me is coach Brandon Densmore at Gmail is one good way. You can shoot me an email or you can find me on Facebook and send me a private message.
4: Great. Thank you for that. And tell us about your YouTube channel, what you got going on there.
3: I have some YouTube videos, but I don't really have a YouTube channel but I've been going on a lot of different podcasts and you can find uh, most of those interviews on my professional Facebook page.
4: Okay. And that is easily going to facebook.com forward slash coach Brandon.
3: Yes. B R A N D E N.
4: Yes. That was coach Brandon Densmore. I hope you enjoyed that. I love telling stories and hearing stories about the afterlife, but why it's so rich is it gives us insight on how to live a powerful life. I do hope you join me at wedontdie.com. Get a free copy of my book by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of the page. If you go to the store page and find my audio book, just use coupon code FREE. And be sure while you're there, you join us for a free Sunday gathering with medium demonstration included. I'm Sandra Champlain. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
1: Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here.
0: From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line.
1: Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew.
0: I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.